0: He is a reporter for ESPN. We welcome Eric Woodyard onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Eric?
1: Man, how you doing, man? Thank you for getting my last name right, because everybody calls me Woodyard and starting to learn me a little bit. So I appreciate you getting that
0: right. No yeah. problem. I, I
1: started off on the right track, man. <laughs> no worries. People
0: call me good man, they call me yeah. all kinds of different things, so no <laughs> worries at all. Um we wanted just to pick your brain because you're you're pretty knowledgeable about the the NBA, and this is unlike any other NBA season in history. Um, so yeah. we just want to get your perspective so just as an overall picture, can you just give your opinion regarding how has the NBA handled COVID so far, just regarding the league being out of the bubble and now pretty much traveling on a normal travel schedule on airplanes and et cetera? How do you think the
1: league has handled it so far? I think they've done a really, really good job. You know, I was really concerned, you know, with, uh, you know, them being outside of a bubble. You know, they could kind of obviously you can't control COVID, but I feel like in the bubble, they had a really, really great opportunity to, to control the situation as best as possible. And um, I was worried about that going into this year, but the league has been very, very thorough. I mean, you look at the James Harden situation and most recently the Chicago situation where, yes, you know, Chandler Hudson, Hutchinson tested positive uh, for COVID. But you know, on top of that, you know, just for the tracing and everything, uh, his teammates, Larry marketing uh, Ryan uh Thomas Sadarensky, you know, those three guys were held under the protocol. So I think it's been very, very consistent. And I can point to Chicago and several other cases as well. You know, when Garrett Temple t- tested positive in November and then you look at his other teammates, um, Noah Vonley, that was waived, you know, after testing positive. And Sadarensky was also had to uh, do a nine day quarantine during the preseason as well. And Luke Connett and two-way player, two-way guard, Devin Dotson. So that's just a team that's handled it well. And I think league-wide that just shows how thorough they are where anybody, um, you know, even remotely think, you know, they think it's, it's uh, capable of uh, catching COVID, you know, they've been right on top of it. So I think the league has done a very, very, very good job.
0: Is there any concern in your mind that we might encounter a NFL situation or even with college football that when we get into the deep part of the season, in which we have a lots of just, you know, positive COVID cases. We see players gone for multiple games and that affects the,
1: the outcome of who makes the playoffs. Is that any concern of yours? Definitely. It's a concern. I mean, you know, uh, I forget, you know, I haven't been as engaged in football as this year because I'm with basketball, but I think the Saints just had a couple running backs. Am I, am I correct about that? Um, I'm not sure. I think, I think I just read that, man. It was either the Saints or the Ravens, one of them, but I know, um uh, you know they had some people that was like their running back court was out so i, I mean definitely that's going to affect you know somebody is healthy or not you know what i mean because this is something that we can't control we've never saw this so i definitely think in all sports you know i mean this is going to be a concern honestly
0: mm-hmm. um shifting to what's happened on the court um one observation that i've noticed is tons of blowouts um right. massive blowouts um is there any concern that that might linger through the latter parts of the season? Or do you think it's just a factor of teams not playing basketball for a long time? I mean, the majority of the league, I know there's a lot of focus on the bubble, but the majority of the league wasn't playing. So um, this is yeah. their first like real-life action in, in a long time. Does this Is that a contributing factor as to why we're seeing these these blowouts?
1: Yeah, definitely, man. And, I, and that was a concern I asked actually Milwaukee Bucks coach Mike Boonehurt about that. And he said that as well, like, you know, guys haven't, they aren't in shape all the way. I mean, they had to rush right back into a season without a full training camp. Uh, The off season was rushed. So even just getting to know their teammates, you know, like say adding a Drew Holiday or adding a big piece to the roster, they didn't really get a time to like really get adjusted. So I think guys are still getting acclimated. You even look at some of the top guards. I was looking at some numbers on just Damian Lillard and Steph Curry and Donovan Mitchell and, Luka Doncic, they all kind of got off to a slow start. So I think they'll be fine. They're professionals. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's reality. I mean, guys didn't have an opportunity to, you know, get time to prepare fully. So uh, they kind of was rushed back. And I think we're kind of seeing a result of that. But I don't think that'll continue throughout the whole season. I think it's probably be, you know, maybe the first month or so. And I think guys, you know, fit right back in. But right now it's been an adjustment, man. This is something that nobody's ever had to deal with in NBA history. So, it's definitely going to be different. I mean, we, we could talk about it all day, but it's, that's just what it is.
0: I was going to mention that to you in terms of, of some of those players getting off to a slow start, but somebody who hasn't is James Harden, and mm-hmm. uh, he's been a very controversial figure, but like he's leading the, the league in scoring. Um, mm-hmm. what, Where do you make up the situation? Because his stats are really good, but yet he's been highly volatile this, this entire season so far in terms of his trade value. Um. I, I guess I want to ask, where do you see the situation going? Because my co-host, we, we've been talking about this week after week after week, and I, I don't think we can make really heads or tails of this situation just because of you know everything that's happened. Do you ultimately see him remaining on the Rockets at the end of the season? Do you think the, um, Houston will be able to get a good enough deal to trade him?
1: I mean this is – you no, know, this is just me speaking. It's not reporting, but I, sure. I, I think personally that you know, they're, they're going to have to get rid of him at some point. I don't think it's a rush. I think, uh, you know, Houston understands his value and they're not going to just take anything. They probably, they're probably going to look at, um, the Milwaukee situation and all that the Bucks got for a guy like Drew Holiday, but no disrespect to Holiday, he's not James Harden. So they're going to try to really, uh, clean the team out, you know, to get this guy. And I think, you know, they're not rushing that process. And, I mean, he's come out in the season. He's averaged 37 points and 11 assists. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. Number one, is yeah. number two in assists, um, which is impressive, you know, but um I think they will ultimately end up trading, but I think they 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 know like we're we're not in a the rush. They the cars are in their hands, so it's like they they're gonna get the best situation.
0: What do you see as the best suits for a James Harden as a team? Um a lot of people were pointing to the um The Brooklyn Nets, and Mm -hmm. I don't really see that as a good fit. Am I incorrect there? Do you think it's possible for those three players to coexist? I know once that was brought up as a possibility, there's a lot of excitement, but considering their usage rate and and what they do on the court, I don't think it's necessarily the best match. Uh, Do you see any other team that might be a good fit for James Harden if he were to be traded?
1: Man, I think you know he's an ultimate scorer. You know, one of the best scorers of all time. Um, I'm not sure about that Brooklyn fit. It just seemed like. Even with just with Katie and Kyrie, that's a lot. So adding Harden to that, um, I mean, I, I think that's a lot. But I, in my opinion, he's going to have to change his play style to really adapt and play with, you know, star players. I mean, he's had star players throughout his career all throughout Houston, and it hasn't worked. So I think he's going to have to change his game. And if he's willing to do that, he's willing to play anywhere. This guy is a former MVP, so it's really dependent upon him. Will he move without the ball? Uh, will you give up some of those ISO situations and get others involved a little more? So I think it's really on him, but I mean, it's from there is if if he's, if he's willing to change his game, I mean, he can play anywhere, man. I mean, you can, you can go down the list, Miami, you know, uh, Milwaukee, you know, if he want to change the game, even Brooklyn, but I'm I'm just not sure, sure you know, how he's able to, if, if he's going to be willing to take that next step and, you know, possibly give up some of those numbers to have more success. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. I wanted to kind of shift gears and ask you about a player that a lot of people seem high on, and this is something that we've asked our guests in the past about, and it's – to me, it's really just a mystery. I I don't understand why this player is getting that much hype, and that is Ben Simmons. Um, He's been Mm -hmm. called the next LeBron James, and I don't see it, and I'm I'm, I'm honestly asking, what am – what are they seeing but I'm not seeing in terms of his potential? Because the other night I saw him on Twitter hit a three, and everybody's celebrating like it's the greatest <laughs> thing ever. But, like, I believe it was his third three ever. I'm like, yeah. why is this guy being compared to LeBron when this is he hit his third, third three ever in his career? It doesn't make any sense to me logically in terms of comparing both players. So uh, are you on the, like, Ben Simmons bandwagon, or do you think he's just overhyped?
1: Man, um, I think he's still a a star talent in this league, he's an all star caliber player. I don't see superstar though. Uh, you know, he's averaging around 14 points, around 10 rebounds, around seven assists, so he's all around. He's capable of a triple double every single night. And I think him being 6'10, 240 as a point guard, I think that's where the comparisons are are coming in because we, you know, we've had we, we saw magic, but I mean, him being 6'10, he's even bigger than magic, so sure, I think that's where the hype and everything comes, and then like just the overall way he's able to fill the stat sheet and be a triple double throw every time that's why the lebron comparisons are there but I, I see an all-star talent but i don't see superstar um i was out there his rookie year when him and donovan mitchell had that back and forth rookie beef so that was kind of fun to be a part of that you know when, mm-hmm. when they were kind of beefing on that rookie stuff so that was pretty cool but um i think he's still like i said he's a star talent but until he takes that next step to really get better at, and being a willing jump shooter i think that he, he's he's going to just be a star not a superstar but He's still young, man, 24 years old. That's true. You know, you know he, he has a long way to go in his career. I'm not ready to write him off just yet, but he has to commit to becoming a better shooter, man. I mean, that's just, you know, he, he has to. But, I mean, he is a 6'10 guy. So, I mean, historically, you look over the years, a lot of the bigger guys haven't been great shooters, even though he has the capabilities to dribble the ball and pass more, much better than, you know, uh, most guys his size. But, I mean, historically, I mean, you look at those big guys, man, They, they have they have issues shooting. So I'm not even really sure. You know, how does he become a better shooter? I know he's tried at it. There's been reports that's come out saying mentally he's tried to hire people to make sure, you know, he just gets his mind right with shooting and approaching it that way. So um, he's going to have to take that next step to become a better shooter to really become a superstar in the league. But I I do see him as a star.
0: In saying that there's been this kind of side taking between Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, Um, if it comes down to picking one player over the other, which side do you land on? as the future, best future for the 76ers
1: that's tough man because you know joel and b definitely is the better player in my opinion but the injuries i mean i mean he, he yeah. can't stay healthy i mean him you know when you're building the team man he's older i mean he's only 26 but he's a couple years over ben simmons and i think if they're gonna pick a side they probably will go ben over joel just because of those injuries and those issues he's had pretty much his whole career but Joel is by far the better player. I feel like, you know, man, he started this season strong, man. 25 and 12, you know, this year, and uh, he's already missed a game with a with a back. I, I covered one of the games. I believe they were playing uh, uh, Cleveland, and he missed that game with a back. Whatever was going on with his back, but just, you know, those little things, you know, over and over have hurt him throughout his career. You know, just not being able to stay on the court. But he's he's definitely a, a he has the ability to be a superstar. If if not now.
0: Mm-hmm. As a reporter, you mentioned you covered um, one of his games this season. For yourself, in the midst of this pandemic, I'm sure you're used to actually going to the games and talking to these players one-on-one. What has it been for you just covering the NBA? Um, Have you been doing it mostly remotely, or have you been able to get any press access in these arenas? What has it been um, for you ever since the pandemic has started?
1: Yeah, it's been weird, man. Everything's been pretty much through Zoom even if you do go cover a game face to face you're not getting face to face access to guys and in our business that's important uh you know we that's how we operate is building relationships being around guys so it's been tougher but i think it's made me become a better professional cuz i got to think outside of the box and ways to be creative to get access to guys because we're not getting those one on ones we're not at games you know in the locker rooms how we were before and that's something we kind of took for granted man so i think 2020 reminded us that our job should be going tomorrow man we got to really Appreciate the access we get, the love we get. You know, I'm thankful and fortunate I got an opportunity to cover the All-Star Weekend in Chicago. Who knows when things will just come back to where it's even an All-Star Weekend or just things like that. So I've had to think outside the box. I've had to uh, become a better reporter. But ultimately, it's it's difficult, man, because we're not getting that face-to-face interaction.
0: Um, I know this this might be a difficult question. Uh, Forgive me for asking this. But once things get back to normal, to your best knowledge, do you think – the NBA will take any of their media protocols that they have enacted and keep them just because it might make their lives easier from a league standpoint? Or do you think ultimately things will get back to normal in terms of how much um, access you have to the players?
1: I think the league definitely is going to try to do that because they can more so control the situation. And that's just me speaking. But, you know, we're in the, in the, in the media roar We have people fighting for us, man. We have Professional Basketball Writers Association, it's all these organizations, National Association of Black Journalists, you know, all these different organizations that are going to continue to fight for us to get that access. So it's not going to be easy. They can't just come and do that, you know, and take it away from us forever. But I do understand from a league standpoint um, not allowing reporters right away. I mean, they still got to make sure that it's cool for just players. So I, I don't have an issue with them taking concerns, even though I love my job. At the end of the day, we're not essential workers. So it's like as great as that is, I understand until things get back right, it's probably going to be this way, you know, maybe even this year and next year. Um, but, of course, I, I don't think it's going to happen forever. We need to be back in those locker rooms. We need to tell the stories. Uh, it's a freedom of speech. It's, it's press. You know, we have rights. You know, it's an amendment. It's an amendment to speak our mind and get access to things. So it's, it's going to be a fight. But I, I do understand the league from a health standpoint not letting people right away that aren't essential to the team. So um, it's, it's going to be a fight, though. They're not going to be able to take away forever.
0: Um, just shifting gears back to the league from just a presentation standpoint when you're watching these games on TV, um, what has stood out to you so far? I know for me since the NBA has moved from the bubble, not having those digital fans actually miss them just from just a visual standpoint. What, what has stood out to you in terms of what you've seen on the court besides just the lack of fans? Do you think that has hurt the atmosphere because they're playing these big arenas? Or is ultimately this guy just playing basketball, and when the ball gets tipped up, that doesn't really matter?
1: I think the league, you know, they're doing a great job. They've added the, you know, the, the crowd noise. I think that's a pretty cool effect, you know, to make it feel somewhat normal. But you can never simulate fans being in the arena, that excitement, that energy when it's a big game – the Lakers taking on the Clippers or, you know, going into another uh, arena where the fans are yelling, you know, this guy sucks sir. he's just that energy. You're not getting that. So uh, it's cool. Now we, we're adapting. We understand we're in the midst of a pandemic, but we want those fans back, man. I think the league is doing the best job that they possibly can. I do like the presentation, but nothing beats those fans, man. So, you know, when, they, when, they, when they're able to get back in those arenas and fill those seats, it's going to be like, we're back to normal right now. It's like, we're just adapting and we're enjoying, we're enjoying basketball right now.
0: And um, one last question before I let you go. In terms of the the leagues at the top of the standings, um, it's some surprises at the top in terms of seeing the Orlando Magic, um, the the Cleveland Cavaliers, even the Phoenix Suns. Do you see any of those teams being a factor when when the playoffs come around, or do you think it's kind of like one of those early start things? Once we get 20 games into the season, things will kind of level itself out.
1: Yeah, man, it's it's early. You know, like you say, Cleveland's at the top. Philly's at the top. Indy, Orlando, you know, some of the, Atlanta, some of these teams are, are good. I think they're going to be great throughout the season, but it's still so early, man. Guys are like six games in, you know, some of them even five games in. So it's way too early to tell. And as I mentioned before, guys are coming off one of the off seasons that's been the most bizarre in NBA history. So it's going to take time to adjust and adapt. And it's a shortened season on top of that. It's 72 games. So uh, I think, you know, guys are going to get a rhythm and um, the top teams are going to rise to the top. I mean, right now, if the playoffs start today, Milwaukee's not even in the playoffs. You know what I mean? They're three and yeah. Three, so, <laughs> yeah. You know, that's not going to, that's not going to stand, but you know, some of these teams are, have gotten better. I do like some of the, you know, uh, young pieces that Cleveland has. I like watching them. I like watching Indiana, obviously Phoenix, number one in the West right now, uh, New Orleans. I mean, some of these teams have gotten better, but I, I mean, it's not really – it's a small sample size, so I don't think that's going to last for everybody. Well, Eric,
0: thank you very much for coming on to the show. Um, Please plug your social media handles and any projects um, you're working on for 2021.
1: Yeah, check me out. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, E underscore Woodyard, W-O-O-D, Y-A-R-D. I'm just ready to take it to the next level. This is my second season for ESPN. We're in 2021. Man, let's get it. I'm ready to grind. I'm ready to work. And, you know, I appreciate you having me, man
0: yeah no problem eric you've been an awesome guest uh thank you for taking time out of your sunday to to join the show really appreciate it
1: no problem man keep a good work.
0: welcome to another so Hoosology. i am justin goodgill joined by matt thomas what's up matt what's up justin i'm doing well how are you good good we're in a video form what do you think
2: i love it good to see you it's uh a little more natural this way getting to see you rather than uh right you know, kind of being on on a more glorified phone call with you on skype so it's, yeah. it's good to see your reactions um and uh great job with that interview by the way with eric
0: yeah i appreciate it he was a wonderful guest um he's a i don't know if you ever watched the show it's called power um it's uh 50 cent produced it it's on stars kind of like a crime drama mm-hmm. he was a a big fan of that. We we're chatting about that before we got into the interview. I was addicted to that show. Like I was telling him for a good couple of months, I couldn't stop watching it. Um, and now they're making all these spin-offs. So we're we're talking about that. I'm chopping it up before we get into the interview. But he had a lot of great knowledge. It was uh, great listening to him. Um, and we'll hopefully have him as a guest in the future again. It was a really great talk.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'd love to get a chance to pick his brain in the future as well. So. Uh, Very cool. Hope you guys listening enjoyed that interview as
0: well. For sure. And along with his interview, we have plenty of other interviews for you to check out um, coming up on our YouTube page and also, of course, our podcast feed. So make sure you go check that out. And we'll have details um, once we're done with our main show as to um, the Pacific guests on our feed as well. So, man, um, let's hop into it and break down the league. Um, we're, We're in the midst of it. And, of course, we have to talk about James Harden. Um, As I mentioned with Eric, you would think with Harden and all of the distractions and the trade rumors, his numbers um, were to decrease. But actually, he's been forming really well um, over the first three games, um, 37 points, um, about five rebounds, 11 assists. Um, MVP-like numbers. Um, Here's a quote um, from Sam Amachek. Um, and Kelly Ielko of The Athletic, internally, there is a growing belief that Harden could end up staying in Houston for the entire season, if not longer, untenable though it may seem. So I guess – because we talked to Eric, uh, I did, in terms of what his future is um, in terms of this season and these seasons beyond, but what do you what do you make of this, man, because – I have to admit I was totally wrong about this in terms of his performance. I thought it was going to be a huge distraction. I, I ultimately think that his numbers were to decrease, but he's been—he's a scoring machine. And I guess based on Eric's analysis, I agree with him. You know, he's a MVP-like player. So, so what do you make of his performance so far? And more importantly, do you think he'll be able to keep this up through all the distractions and through meshing with John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins? Well, it
2: seems like I. I don't imagine now that we've seen this production and now that he's kind of in the flow of, you know, actually being at practice and those kinds of things, I think we'll see the production continue. He still wants to be traded. Uh, He did say uh, uh, with regards to coach Steven Silas, who was given the game ball by John Wall after his first coaching victory against the Kings uh, two games ago for the Rockets. Um, James Harden said, you know, let's see how many wins we can get. But I don't put a lot of stock into that. I also don't put a a lot of stock into this messaging from Sam Amick and um, that report from The Athletic. It it sounds to me like something that an organization would put out in order to increase trade value and get better trade assets and ensure that happens. So uh, I do think that – Obviously, I mean, I I wouldn't have been shocked if James Harden was traded before the season began. And now it's going to be, I think, a waiting game in that we're going to need to see some of these top trade contenders or or kind of people in the mix that Harden has put on his list. We're going to need to see some of them struggle a little more significantly, like maybe Milwaukee drop a few games and get the urge to add to their star power or especially Philadelphia, who sits on top of the Eastern Conference right now. I think with Daryl Morey, and that's really still my belief to where Harden will be going before the trade deadline is up, just because of his relationship with Daryl Morey and how much it seems like Daryl Morey wants to reunite with him in spite of also having said mixed things about Ben Simmons. I think that's not going to happen in a situation where the Sixers only have one loss. They're going to want to see where this roster goes under new coaching, new direction in the front office. But um, so I guess that's the big surprise is we're going to be waiting a little while longer to see where James Harden goes. But this whole thing is, has just been crazy. Um, and I wanted to ask you, you know, one of the the popular topics on many other podcasts this week and, and kind of around the media is, you know, would you trade jalen brown or maybe like a michael porter jr if you're looking at boston and denver being potential trade destinations i i know james harden has said that he's cool with going to boston i don't know if the same is true for denver um but regardless if you were either of those organizations would you be willing to part with some of that young talent in order to acquire james harden
0: it's it's so tough um i don't know if you listened to bince uh bill simmons um And he was talking about Jalen Brown and how I believe Kimba Walker, he's been hurt. So Jalen Brown's been getting more of the the reps and his numbers have been really solid. And it it seems like when he's able to perform without like Kyrie Irving or, um, you know, Kimba Walker, or um, I believe Isaiah Thomas um, in, in the beginning, where he's able to assert himself as the main ball handler, he performs well. So, it's tough to say, to say also became James Harden has a less than stellar record in the playoffs. And that's ultimately the end game, right? I mean the, the regular season that the Celtics have performed, they've done that already been there, done that, performed well. So the, the, the question is, can he win you a title? And ultimately that's a risk. I would say with James Harden, you know, trying to mesh him with, Um, Jason Tatum, that's going to be a question mark, as well as Kimba Walker, if you were to trade for him. It's a huge risk. Um, If I'm running Boston's front office, I know this may seem unpopular. I would kind of see where the Jalen Brown, Kimba, Jason Tatum combo goes before making that drastic of a move in my favor. I just don't think James Harden has proven it where it counts it's kind of the eye test. It's kind of like you when know, I was talking to Eric regarding um, Ben Simmons in terms of if he's like an elite superstar player like LeBron. We we, you know, you, myself, Eric, people that you know are hardcore fans. We know we know who's the superstars in this league. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. And so far, unfortunately for James Harden, he has not been able to prove it when we when it counts the most so i just don't see as a worthwhile move for the celtics to make at this point um with philly i think that's a little bit of a different story i looking at ben simmons i've always thought he's overrated i i don't understand with you know eric alluded to it again how he needs to work on his shot and to, to make that comparison to lebron james in which he's not like a stellar shooter however like You know, you take a look at LeBron. He had this long streak of, you know, consecutive ten-point games, and you know, the only times he hasn't done it was some playoff games here or there throughout his career. But the regular season, he's been so consistent. I just think it's kind of a joke to compare him to LeBron from a superstar standpoint when the guy can't shoot. I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but they're celebrating his third three-pointer of his career, of his career. Like, what, what are we doing here? So, to me, my point is if you're oh. Philadelphia and I get it with, <laughs> uh,
2: huh? I'm sorry. I said once a year, you get to celebrate a Ben Simmons three-pointer. <laughs> I,
0: I don't understand. I mean, if he was like a big man, you know, if he was like Joel Embiid, that makes a lot more sense, but I understand, you know, again, referring to the, the, the interview with Eric, like he's big for his position. However, it's like, if we're going to compare him to one of the greatest players ever, and people are saying the greatest of all time, LeBron, like, well, this guy needs to be able to shoot. I, <laughs> am I missing something? I mean, I don't. I, I just don't understand. That's why I asked Eric that question. I'm like, am I like delusional? I feel like I'm in the twilight zone. Everybody knows something that I don't know. So I, I think relating to this to James Harden, I think you make that trade in a heartbeat personally, um, just because there's a lot of question marks regarding Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, like we alluded to in the interview. like He is injury prone. So that's a situation in which with Embiid, as much as I like him, as much as I would pick him over Ben Simmons... You never know when he could go down for good, and having that James Harden trade ensures your franchise continues to be a contender, especially in the East. So, um, from a Philly standpoint, I think you make that move at all cost.
2: Hey, ironically, you know, it's uh, as you as you say this, and we kind of review Ben Simmons in my mind. He he could be the fit that they need in Brooklyn because he he's an outstanding defender.
0: Yes, one thousand
2: percent. say one thing. Uh, He is an elite level defender and they need defense in Brooklyn. And he's a guy that we know doesn't like to take, you know, shots with the game on the line or or certainly hasn't proven himself to be that guy. We know he can get to the basket, which is useful, but man, a guy who would be a playmaker who can dish to KD and Kyrie Kyrie being actually a very decent catch and shoot player. Although he, he prefers to dominate the ball, Ben Simmons could be an interesting fit in Brooklyn. Now, of course, nobody's talking about that, and that would have to be maybe something that could happen in a three-team trade. But it seems more and more to me like if if we're going to go the Philly or the Brooklyn route, it is going to be some type of three-team trade because you can't pair Ben Simmons and John Wall together, in, in my opinion. And, and we've talked about this before on the show. So, um, you know, I I think it's, The other thing that I wanted to ask uh, with kind of another angle, uh, because I agree with a lot of your points about Ben Simmons. I I mean, I, I would be curious to see how he does running an offense where he doesn't have Joel Embiid potentially clogging up the lane. That's what I would be curious to see. I'm definitely not saying that I believe that's going to be like the end all be all, like all of a sudden he's leading teams to championships. No, definitely not. Um, But I think that's where, his potential appeal is Um, I I don't, we don't have any proof that that's going to lead to, you know, finals victories and things like that. Uh, So hundred percent agree with you there. But another component of this James Harden trade that, that kind of is perplexing to me is, you know, I, like if you look at a culture that they've established in Boston, I mean, you have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, guys that are successful on both sides of the ball. They're they're great defenders and they're great scorers. Um, I, I just don't see any team that James Harden goes to where he improves the team from a culture standpoint. And I think that is problematic when you are the Rockets and you're trying to get trade value for him, because if, if, like, Brooklyn is interested, while well, he's not going to be the number one guy there potentially, I mean, that really should be KD uh, being the leader of that team. Uh, you look in a situation like Boston – Maybe he has enough clout and he's older than their stars that, we, that they have. We know Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown I are mean, both pretty young guys. Um, so maybe he would have some more pull there. But is that a good thing? And if you think of like the Denver Nuggets, is that a good thing for James, Br- James Harden, excuse me, being the top dog of those franchises? I, I'm definitely not sold on that. And I wonder if that is part of what is holding up this trade process
0: yeah it'll be interesting to see his his um in terms of the culture that is questionable just because what we seen from a COVID standpoint, let alone from the other aspects of what's going on so that'll be interesting as well um do you have any other points? um I'm set to move on it if you are
2: just that you know ironically the rockets are are very fun at least watch right now I, they've only beat the kings for their two wins so uh, the Kings are a decent basketball team, but you certainly can't put a lot of weight into that. But over four games, Christian Wood's numbers are also very impressive, um, along with you know James Harden's numbers in his games. So it's it's kind of funny because this this Christian Wood piece may be one of the best pairings James Harden has had, but I do think that the damage has been done in Houston and and he's gone. Um, I I still think before the trade deadline. Uh, Even with this report from Sam Emick. And of course, I I don't have an internal source or things like that. But typically, historically, once we've seen the damage done in these situations, teams don't tend to hang on to a player hoping for things to get better. They usually try to deal before chemistry issues cause things to get much worse.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll just just have to wait and see how that plays out. But it's certainly a compelling story, and I kind of like the twist that he's actually performing well. So um, we'll have to (laughs) continue to talk about it every single week. Um, Moving on, and this is something that got a lot of coverage, um, and this was Becky Hammond. She's an assistant coach under um, Greg Popovich in San Antonio. Um, This was a game between the Spurs and the Los Angeles Lakers in which Popovich was ejected. Um, The reason is kind of like irrelevant, just poppy and pop, but um, compared to, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it was either last year or the year before, um, you know, Becky Hammond's been an assistant for a long time, and Tim Duncan was also an assistant, and so when Popovich got ejected, I believe the most recent time, it was not Becky Hammond who took the duties, it was Tim Duncan, and Becky Hammond has seniority over tim duncan so i think that was pretty interesting and i don't remember it being super controversial either it was more like oh tim duncan's coaching the team and it seems like now it's kind of like reverse backlash of why wasn't she the coach when popovich got ejected before it's like delayed backlash it's pretty weird but um nevertheless she she filled in per popovich um i just want to read some of these comments here um it says um, Spurs assistant Becky Hammond filled in for an objected grab Popovich. She is believed to be the first woman to act as a head coach during an NBA regular season game. Um, here are some comments from Popovich. As you all know <laughs> – Oh, go ahead. Sorry,
2: if I can copy you yeah. there. I, I just thought that that – that was a Twitter post by ESPN, uh, yeah. which you just read there. Sure. It, it is really odd that they said she is believed to be. Like, I, I thought I so. I mean, like – are NBA records written in hieroglyphics or something? Like, why, why yeah. do we know for yeah. sure that she is the first uh, female coach to, you know, coach any quarter of basketball? I, I just thought the wording there was pretty odd, and a lot of people felt that way on Twitter as well from what I saw. I, mean, I I'm not trying to put ESPN on blast or anything, but it, it just kind of puts this, like, seed of doubt in your mind, like, is she or isn't she? Because <laughs> it seems like she is
0: a valid point i don't know why they phrased that either it just makes it seem like it's ambiguous like there was some kind of women's assistant coach we didn't know about so it, yeah. it, poor wording on espn's part i'll put them on blast i don't know why they worded that way um it didn't really make any sense but um nevertheless what popovich said um as you all know um we're very participatory participatory um can't say that word um i would like to have my coach's coach the Lakers. We're her scout team. It made total sense for her to take over. That's what we've done for decades. There's nothing new, Popovich said, on a larger scale. That's why it wasn't a big deal to me because I know her. I know her skills. I know her value, and I know her future is very, very bright. I understand the attention it got, but in all honesty, I assume that most people already knew that she was qualified to be a head coach in the NBA. We didn't hire Becky to make history. She earned it. She's qualified. She's wonderful at what she does, Popovich said. I want her to be on my staff because of all the work that she does. And she happens to be a woman, which basically should be irrelevant, but it's not in our world. As we've, as we've seen, as it's been difficult for women to obtain certain positions, it was business as usual for us. So I want to ask you, and I'll bring up this other show, No Dunks. They They talked about this. And some of them said it wasn't news that this happened. I strongly disagree. And I think they were bringing up, hey, this is not news because she should already be a coach. But I think that's exactly the point. She should be a coach. So this should be highlighted every single time this happens. Um, because similarly to you know African-American coaches within the league, I think certainly with women's head coaches compared to other sports, it's within NBA, there is a direct pipeline of experienced women to have professional experience. Um, You can't really say that in other sports. I mean, there is a one-on-one correlation with WNBA and the NBA in terms of Becky Hammond playing on the elite level in which she's um, permitted to play in. So when she's a coach and when she's been under this coaching tree for Popovich um, for a long time, and she's applied for many coaching gigs, and she's been offered um, college coaching gigs in which she has rejected Um, I think it's imperative to highlight when this happens so she can one day get a head coaching job within the NBA. Um, I want to ask you, because I think the game is kind of irrelevant. We already know her skills as a coach. I don't think that needs to be questioned or dissected. However, I do want to ask you, moving forward, what do you think is the hesitation between teams not giving her an opportunity to coach? Is it ultimately like they're afraid to be first? What is the hesitation for her to just get an open um, coaching spot? Because there's co- coaching vacancies all the time. She's in the coaching tree. Is it is it the fact that No Dunks brought it up that a lot of Spurs assistant coaches have not done well? So that's the hesitation? Or is it just because of her gender? I mean, what is going on? Because you would think at around this time she would get an opportunity. At the same time, we've seen a lot of you know her – Counterparts, um, mostly African American, you know, struggle to get that at those opportunities too. So what exactly is the holdup in your opinion?
2: You know, I don't I don't know personally what Becky Hammond has applied for, if she has kind of wanted to stay in San Antonio and be the heir apparent to Coach Popovich, uh, maybe the case once he retires, because you know, I, I think you and I would probably agree. I mean, unless something catastrophic happens, like some kind of scandal. I mean, Popovich is not getting fired from San Antonio. He's earned that with the titles that that he's won. So, uh, you know, personally, I I don't know Becky Hammond. I don't I don't know what jobs she has applied for. Uh, so I can't I can't really speak to you know her being held back from other teams, rejecting her, things like that. She has. Um, been a Spurs assistant since the 2014, 2015 NBA season. And they've had a lot of success in that time. I know they've been on a downward trajectory for the last few years, but she has gotten in that valuable experience. So you would think, you know, to your point, like guys like Mike Budenholzer, uh, Brett Brown, guys that were assistants under Popovich, uh, you would think that she would follow in that trend with them and be hired either as, the heir apparent in San Antonio uh, or to another prospective NBA team. Um, You know, and and I don't know. I mean, I think that, yeah, I mean, I'll just say it's corny, but one of my firm beliefs is that, you know, if, if you're setting yourself up like she is, you're working hard, like she is, you're earning it the way she is, then I think good things will come. And I also think this is, arguably the most if not the most than one of the most progressive sports leagues so i i have very strong uh faith because of the work that she's put in that she will earn that head coaching position if she wants it um and i think uh it's it's just more a matter of time than anything um and if you know if if you look at coaching careers other than say like a Uh, a player turning into a coach like, say, Steve Nash, you know, very little, relatively speaking, not to say there was no coaching experience, but compared to other coaches in this league and especially assistants, um, Steve Nash had next to no experience in comparison to guys uh, sitting on your typical NBA assistant bench. I mean, they're they're assistant coaches that go 20-plus years before they get a head coaching job. Uh, So I don't think I'm ready to be upset or worked up that Becky Hammond isn't a head coach just yet. But I, I do firmly believe she will earn it if that's what she wants to do. Uh, and it seems like it is what she wants to do. Um, so, so it may just be a matter of time. Again, it may just be a matter of Popovich stepping down and she wants to be the heir apparent there with players that she's very familiar with, being the trailblazer that she is in, in the first woman doing this. Maybe she wants that familiarity with the organization. Uh, I don't know her well enough to speak to that personally, but I do believe in her coaching legitimacy. And and you and I spoke, uh, we actually retweeted um, Lindsay Darkangelo, a friend of the show, about that Bulls opening. And, you know, hey, think about Becky Hammond for this opening in Chicago, uh, which ultimately, as we know, didn't pan out. But, um, you know, I, I think you and I are on the same page where we're, we agree in her legitimacy as a coach and everything. Um, I don't know. Do you get the sense that she's being held
1: back?
0: Um. Yes and no. I think, like you said, it's, it's going to happen. She's going to get a head coaching job just because she's under That's that coaching wasn't. tree with Popovich. I mean, it's just – when you're under that strong of a coaching tree, she's going to get an opportunity. It is a little bit suspect that it's taken this long. It, it seems a little bit fishy to me, but is it like a massive outrage? Not yet, but I think it has the potential to be if she's applying for these jobs and not getting them. I mean, it's one thing if she's not going out there and interviewing, but she is. So I think the question is why? Why aren't you hiring her? What is what is the difficulty? I think it's one thing if the league had precedent in terms of hey, you know, like you said, all the coaches had to wait their turn before getting a head coaching spot. That would make sense, but it's not. Like you mentioned Steve Nash. And there's been other coaches too with minimal coaching experience and also coaches from, you know, they started as video coordinators and they worked their way up too. So with Becky Hammond being, you know, her, an accomplished athlete and also under this coaching tree and being successful, it is, there's either two ways, either A, she's being prevented um because of her gender or there's something going on with her we don't know in terms of people interviewing her and they just don't see her as a head coach that we're not seeing so i think it's something that we'll have to watch for but now if i'm ready just to cry like an outrage over this no but you know in the next couple of years as we see different coaching vacancies, season there are going to be a lot just the way the nba works i think it has the potential to be becomes a, an issue um, but the league will have to deal with. So we'll just have to wait and see.
2: Yeah. And again, I would, I would iterate. I mean, I'll, I'll be fully honest. I I thought for a long time about becoming a basketball coach myself as, as a career trajectory, you know, before I settled into uh, what I ultimately wound up doing and, you know, more the rule than the exception is, you know, 10 plus years, of experience doing either assistant work or like you said, video coordinator work, stuff like that, before you get a head coaching position. Um, and I, I think she's, she's putting in the work she's, um, started ahead of compared to where a lot of people start in that, that career path. Um, so, so I do think she's going to get the chance, um, you know, that, that may be in another five years, um, I, I think she's filling up her resume nicely and uh, she should be hired. And, and it's just a matter of time, a matter of lining up ideologies with whatever organization it is. Maybe it's, it's again in San Antonio. Um, and, and I do think the, the first outrage that we might see, or, or I guess um, serious, maybe popularized outrage, cause there, let's face it, there's always going to be some kind of outrage, but um, but the more, like, mainstream outrage that I think we could potentially see is if Popovich retires while she's on his staff and she doesn't get hired as the heir apparent. And Good I, point. And I don't necessarily think that it's fair to blame San Antonio if they don't hire her automatically as the heir apparent. If they are not – they are wanting to go with a different ideology after having Popovich for so long, um, I, I don't think – Um, you know, any team should be forced to hire anyone and whether it's in San Antonio or somewhere else, I think she is going to get hired. Um, but I do, um, but you know, that's not something that San Antonio should be worried about anyway. And it doesn't sound like they are worried about it. I mean, I, I, love personally what Popovich said there about, you know, just giving her full credit that she's here because of her skills as a coach. I want her here because of that. And she's putting in the work. You know, he's he's not patting himself on the back for you know, oh look how you know progressive I am. I I have a woman on staff or whatever. It it shouldn't be that way. It should be full credit to Becky Hammond for the the great work that she's doing.
0: Yeah, totally agreed. Um, it's something to to watch out for. Um, just again in the off season to see what happens with her. And I think you're right about her being a heir apparent to Popovich when he retires. I think that'll probably be the biggest story and the more glaring omission if she's not hired there. Um, Moving on. And this is something that we usually talked about among NBA fans and that's star sitting games. And what's interesting is that Bill Simmons brought this up was back to backs. That's something that we haven't seen in previous years um, in terms of kind of like, teams playing a baseball type of series like best out of two and because of this um there's a policy that's been enacted and correct me if i'm wrong in terms of the nba finding teams 100k for nationally televised games that they set their stars so oftentimes as we looked at the schedule last week you might have a game that's nationally televised on i don't know espn and then the next game will be on nba t or nba tv or vice versa um we saw this you know last week Um, just in terms of seeing John Moran versus Kyrie, that didn't happen in terms of other stars being, you know, sat. What is your ultimate opinion on these back-to-backs and rest? And from, you brought this up since there's no fans in the stands, or it's going to be very limited once, as the vaccines get rolled out. What is your, your thoughts on this from a national TV perspective? Because the NBA, they need a strong season ratings wise. Um, despite them go, coming out to a very good start, still to m- maintain that momentum and the league just being very unpredictable because we don't have an all-star, the all-star week is in question. Um, a lot of the games further on, is those are in question too. What do you make of kind of players resting in low management? Because we we have this and we have COVID and we have injuries. So we could get to a point where maybe games get postponed or canceled just because of a combination of these, these issues. Do you think this might be a warning sign for the league as we progress through the season?
2: Yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's complicated. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of a good transition coming off of talking a little bit about Popovich coming into this. Cause I, I don't know if you remember this, we watched this uh, together when I think the first instance of a team ever being fined for this Someone in the comments, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe the first instance of this was, it it was 2013 or 2014, the Spurs versus the Heat. Popovich decides to sit all of his starters for a TNT-broadcasted game. Um, He decides, my starters need rest. He sits Duncan, Ginobili, Parker, um, his his whole starting five, he sits. Uh, Surprisingly, parts of that game were competitive with the San Antonio bench. But regardless, um, I, I might be wrong on this number, but I think the organization was fined like $250,000 for that move uh, that Popovich decided just to rest the stars. And then from then on, you've kind of had this loophole where you can just say, like, for example, like, like in our notes, I put uh, most recently what comes to mind is, you know, we have this excited, exciting matchup Actually, you and I were talking about John Morant. Uh, you brought up his ankle injury um, on last week's episode. But he was facing the Nets in that game, and they had sat KB and Kyrie Irving uh, during that game because uh, I believe it was the second on a back-to-back. Um, but it's it's definitely tricky because now you have this loophole of, well, then the coach just isn't going to be honest, potentially. Not, not saying everyone's doing this, but you could just put, you know, ankle he's he's sitting because of his ankle and, and just be really generic about this um you know and i i think the the league is going to be okay through this season is is my overall opinion on this and the league is as as player friendly as it's ever been they want these guys to to participate as much as possible given all the um all the kind of roadblocks in the way with COVID anyway, and all the obstacles in dealing with that. So I think this isn't really the time where the league and Adam Silver, who is a player-friendly commissioner, I don't think they're going to lay down the hammer on teams for resting players. I do think down the road, this is, this is like a long-term, um, I think, cultural topic of importance for the NBA because you do want long-term to – have the opinion or at least at least the, the kind of dance or, or show and dance, whatever you want to call it, of the players playing the game because they want to be playing there in front of their fans. They want that six year old kid who's going to their first NBA game to be ooing and awing over Kyrie Irving and his his incredible handles and, and things like that. You want that relationship established, and I think if you go for too long with letting players rest too frequently in these regular season games, it may potentially send the message to some fans that, hey, if you guys don't care about these regular season games, why should I? And when you have 82 regular season games in a normal season, that, that's a very negative thing to even speculate that that could be the case. So, so I do think this is a real issue, but I don't really know how you police it the one idea that I jotted down that I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, and then of course I want your thoughts overall on this topic, was um, you know the, the most strict I could see them going with this. Um, again, in just like a few minutes brainstorming, is maybe the league requires now not just a coach to put in the status, but like a doctor's note for a player to sit a nationally televised game, which I think sounds more strict than anything Adam Silver would be willing to do at this point. But I don't know. Do you see potentially that, that long-term issue I'm talking about, or do you think that the league could clamp down further? Because you are right. It's right now it's hundred K. If you're just resting a player, like for load management on a nationally televised game, Um, that's still kind of, kind of loosey goosey. And there are a lot of ways around that. I don't know. How big of an issue do you think this is? And what do you think are some potential solutions?
0: Um, In terms of the doctors, no, I think that's kind of suspect too, just because who's the doctor, right? I mean, if they're, who's yeah. the physician, is it the team doctor? Is it their personal doctor? Is the personal doctor a fan of the Spurs? I mean, if he wants to see, you know, DeMar DeRozan or whatever players on there play, I mean, that can easily happen. Um, So, I don't see that rectifying the issue at all. In terms of solving the problem, I think with the 72-game season, I think that pushes um, teams that are below the five seed to p- play all their guys as much as possible because there's a limited amount of games, right? Like you want to win these games. I mean look at the the injury to John Morant with his ankle. He's out three to five weeks, and people are speculating, hey, oh, Memphis is out. I mean, before that wouldn't be such a huge deal. Like, especially with this play-in tournament, you know, Memphis could probably get back into it. But now, I mean, three to five weeks we have here, 15 games. That's a lot of games. I mean, if they lose the majority of those, maybe they are out, you know, out of the, play, the play-in the game. So I think just because of this season, and particularly with, with the 72 games, I hope my hope is that you won't see that too much. Now with the elite teams, I think that's still the question mark. And I think – that's when you have like the mid-season tournaments. Now that was ultimately voted down, but I think something like that where teams have something to play for, I think that's going to motivate players to still participate. Um, But at the same time, in terms of solving this problem this season, I think COVID has a lot to do with it too. So Mm -hmm. all those are going to be factors. I, I think, you know, hopefully, COVID's not an issue the next season, so we get a, you know a full season and everything going on. You eliminate that variable. I, I think the only way is to make the regular season games mean something. And and I think I don't I don't know. I think there's gonna have to be some creative ideas to make the nationally televised games means something because most of all i think i understand the deal of you know little john wants to you know the seven-year-old wants to see lebron but i mean you have to expect if lebron is playing i don't know the orlando magic i mean if you're in, in orlando are you going to really expect to see lebron probably not i mean 50 50 so i think it depends on the match i mean it depends on that again the, the the games that make the NBA the most amount of money are the nationally televised games. So, and the games, that's a lot of games, right? I mean, through the course of the season, you're going to see it's usually Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then when ESPN picks up the games, it's, it's Saturday and Sunday. That's a lot. That's still a lot of nationally televised games. So overall, I think as long as you have your stars playing on those main TV games, I think that's going to, alleviate a lot of the issues because you know you see especially tnt which a lot of people respect those hosts are pretty honest and they'll, they'll blatantly say hey so-and-so's not playing tonight go watch something else <laughs> like don't watch our show until the post-game you know uh show comes on so i think for the league this is a weird season and ultimately i think they'll be able to kind of just get around it but i in the future pushing those nationally televised games i think it's going to be key um, to maintaining just the integrity of the league if they still maintain this back-to-back schedule. I don't think a star sitting at an NBA TV game is that big of a deal, to be honest. But, however, when you have a, you know, ESPN game or a TNT game, you know, you need your stars to play to promote the league. And I think, especially now, if they're able to play with 72 games, that's imperative to make sure that happens.
2: Well, and also, I mean, it's it's easy to argue from the players union side of things like, Hey, you guys, the TV contracts bring in so much money. I mean, the majority of your contracts are being paid for by these TV contracts. So we got to suit up for the nationally televised games where, you know, these uh, broadcasting companies are paying big bucks to have our league over their airwaves, you know, so to speak. So, so I don't think that's a very complicated conversation to have, with the players either. I, I think it, it's mutual. It, it works both ways. Um, and, and I, I do think, um, there, I, th- I think there will be leniency this year for ratings because we know ratings have been all over the place since COVID. It does seem like ratings are getting better since the bubble. You guys go back and listen to the Richard Dice interview that Justin did, um, last week. Um, I'm sorry, two weeks ago now? It was, anyway.
0: Yeah, <laughs> time is making my these days. So. It was just before yeah. Christmas.
2: Um, <laughs> so, guys, go check that out. I'll I'll see if I can put a card up on the screen on the YouTube video here. But um, he, he had some great thoughts about why the ratings have been all over the place. Uh, and I think those points still apply to this season, potentially, even, even though we are getting into a more regular rhythm, there's still – a lot more content to digest in a shorter amount of time with those 72 games being bunched together. So I think there still is going to be some understanding if the ratings are a little bit lower than a normal season. Um, but like, like we said, moving forward, this is just always going to be something to keep an eye on in terms of how the league responds and wants to deal with this. Um, and I don't know. It, it may be that, once we, uh, like you said, once we get a vaccine out, once we're past some of the stress that that we're dealing with right now about COVID, um, it may just be that this all sorts itself out and it's a lot easier to suit up more frequently for games because there's a, a lot less external stress going on for everyone, players included.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, some notes before we say goodbye. Um, as we discussed Earlier, John Moran is out three to five weeks, about 15 games. Um, in terms of teams that um, impress the Sixers, the Hawks, and the Pacers, um, some people put the Hawks are a surprise. Um, the Wizards and Raptors still disappointing and specifically pascal siakam and he struggled in the bubble as well um the wizards is kind of like i don't know i mean we've seen westbrook and his triple doubles like wasn't like when he, he was doing it for okc they were the number one seed and the favorites to win the title so i'm not necessarily surprised they're struggling but um with the raptors that's a surprise too and also you know that the crowd i mean that would be a huge factor and we've seen it basically as no dunks put it i mean with Kyle Lowry plays terrible when he's sitting they they're they're it's over for them (laughs) they're out of luck in terms of winning a game um with the west as you mentioned the Rockets looking good with John Wall that's really good to see um good for um our buddy Josh who was a guest on the show about the Phoenix Suns going on a four-game winning streak and with Chris Paul as Charles yeah with um Chris Paul um as Charles Barkley put it I mean he made a good point I mean Chris Paul is a proven winner. So um, I think they're going to be a very interesting team as we get to the playing games, um, as we get to the end of the season to see where they end up. Um, the Pelicans pick up two straight. Um, the Lakers continue to coast. And then we have the Warriors. And this is something that Eric brought up, not only with um, Steph Curry in which he commented on it, I think in the most recent game, as well as, you know, Damian Lillard, um, some of them struggling. However, like I, I seen some of their stats. I mean, People are pointing to Steph Curry's worst start, but he's still top 10 in three pointers made. So, I mean, it's not like he's not hitting any threes. And we've seen a video where he hits, you know, those consecutive threes in a row. I think it's like 100 threes, something like that, something ridiculous. Um, I, I think the biggest shock is the Nuggets continuing to struggle. Um, I, want, I want to ask you about them. I mean, <laughs> they're kind of our, some of our favorites to you know, win the title here, and yet they're, they're struggling. What do, you, what do you make of that, especially because that's a team that had you know, a lot of experience in the bubble, and it was a quick turnaround. So this is not a team that didn't play basketball for a long time. Why do you think they're struggling?
2: Well, sometimes the youth that you and I have talked about is a huge plus for the Nuggets and like, hey, look what they can become. As we know, um, you know, sometimes youth can make you more inconsistent as well. It can make you ride some high highs and, and live some low lows as well, a little less consistency there potentially. Um, you know, this core has been together for a while, though, especially when you are talking about Jokic and Jamal Murray. So I would expect them fully to turn this around and still be the top three seed in the West, but they're going to need to, to get to work on that soon uh, you know, yeah. one of their losses was a fluky loss. Buddy Heels had that tip in when they were playing against the Kings. I, you probably saw that highlight, and then he ran off into the tunnel after hitting that buzzer beater, uh, kind of a run, Buddy, run moment. Uh, so, you know, they, they really should have one more win. Uh, that being said, they would still be, I believe, two and four at this point if they, if they had that win or two and three. Uh, so still not looking great underneath, well underneath what we expected from them. Uh, but that's my only guess. Really, is is just taking them uh, a minute or two to to switch gears and get back into regular season mode, get back into that rhythm that they had established before running into the Lakers in the bubble. So, um, so I don't know. It, it seems fluky to me. Um, some of their games have been been pretty close. So I, I'm definitely not ready to write off the Nuggets yet. I, I'm not saying you were ready for that either, but. Um, I don't know. Have you seen anything else that indicates why this might be the case?
0: I think it's still early, and I think especially uh, with a lot of other X factors involved, I think you have to take that into consideration. I think it, you know, just in terms of approaching this from like a kind of scientific perspective, I mean, we don't have really enough data to really point to it, right? Like, let's see when we were at 20 games in. 20 to you know 30 games in i think we'll get a pretty good accurate representation of where these teams are by then if the nuggets are truly struggling then i think there's there's some warning signs there and i think there's there's some questions because that was a breakthrough moment in the bubble and it makes you question was that a fluke right if they're still struggling so um i would like to see some more data regarding that so i'm not willing to really um, totally um give up on them but it is concerning for sure um what do you make of really the Warriors with James Wiseman? Um, Bill Simmons brought this up in terms of maybe he should have been the number one pick. I'm really high on him. I I think he is going to be a force and once, you know, Draymond Green um, gets consistent in in terms of, you know, playing a long stretch of games, I do think the Warriors are going to be a player in the West. Now, are they going to win the conference? No, but certainly be, you know, in contention in that playoff tournament, I do see them as a factor. I think he's too good. And along with Draymond and, and Steph Curry and Steve Kerr, I just don't, it's hard for me to believe that they're inferior against like the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, even the, the Suns in that bottom spot. Um, what do you, what do you make of them? Despite, you know, they haven't really shown their full potential yet.
2: I, I totally agree with the assessment that Wiseman should have been picked ahead of anthony edwards and and that's something that i i felt before the draft before seeing this i didn't really understand um you know setting him next to um oh gosh i'm i'm forgetting his name but russell from uh from the timberwolves uh d'angelo russell Um, i didn't really uh i mean it seems like there's there's a lot of overlap there they're both kind of uh, like combo guards. Um, I, I know this league nowadays skews very, very heavily towards guards. Um, but there, there's also a lot of depth in the guard position that you can get. When you think of maybe like a Twin Towers type of situation there, and I know I'm, that's like a late 90s reference to the San Antonio Spurs putting David Robinson and Tim Duncan together, you you youngsters out there listening potentially. Um, but when you see that Wiseman is a very competent scorer, Carl Anthony Towns can spread the floor a little bit. I mean, imagine a situation where instead of playing Gorgie Jang, uh, you're playing, you know, Carl Anthony Towns as your four, and then you have Wiseman at the five. Uh, I think that's a really interesting lineup and potentially a more threatening lineup than what the Wolves have right now. And that's no slide against Anthony Edwards. I, I think he's looking like he's going to be a very solid pro if, if nothing else. Um, so very high floor for him and could, could progress further. But um I don't know. I have, I'm a little more doubtful of the Warriors than you are at this point. Like I, I don't think they're in, I, I think this Suns team with Chris Paul, um, you know, I, <laughs> I had, I had picked them around the sixth seed in the West and I think I might have underestimated. Uh, they certainly mm. have, they're they're going to come back down to earth a little bit. I, I don't expect them to be the top seed in the West like they are at the moment this early in the season. But, um, but I, I don't see the Warriors being able to contend with a roster as deep as the Suns right now. Like if, if they won't be matched up together in the playoffs, but if they were, I, I would pick the Suns. Uh, just looking at those two rosters, especially without Clay Thompson. Um, I mean, I think we talked about this last week, so I don't want to repeat myself too much, but this Warriors team has always been a team that's done it by committee. We have to wait and see for Draymond to come back and see how effective and how driven he's going to be. Um, But I don't know. I I have my doubts. If if, uh, Draymond is really checked out and not lighting the fire under those guys the minute he comes back, then I, I don't know if they're a top eight seed for me. Um, and I, I did pick them as the eight seed just out of respect to Steph and Draymond. Um, but, but what we've seen so far, you know, I, I'm thinking I was too high on them in that pick. Uh, but again, it's short. We're, you know, six to eight games in tops for, for most teams right now. So um, there's a lot of season left to be played, but I, I don't know. I have huge concerns about that. I I know, um, you're really high on Wiseman. Uh, you've probably seen a little bit more of him than I have. Um, what do you think he's, he's bringing to the table right now? I mean, he's, he's, the numbers are there. He's averaging, you know, basically like 20 and 10, doing some work on defense as well. Um, what are you liking from him in particular? And do you think he's going to develop enough to where maybe Draymond doesn't have to come back as ferociously as, as he has in the past?
0: Well, the the thing is with you know Clay Thompson's injury is with him being out, Steph Curry has to be the the load of the offense, right? And with Wiseman, that changes their whole offensive set. And so that's why I'm high on him because you know Steph needs help. I mean, as we've seen, I, as much as I love Steph Curry, and I think I agree with a lot of people saying he's the greatest shooter ever. I don't know his strength is carrying a team day in day out where he's the primary scorer without other players. So I think with Wiseman awesome. he he takes off that load and also takes that load off Draymond too. So I, I like it from a future standpoint where you know honestly from just you know I'm not saying they're gonna trade Clay Thompson tomorrow, but it gives the Warriors a lot more options in terms of how they can format their offense. If in fact you know we've seen just a lot of wear and tear with Clay Thompson and with Steph Curry too. I mean, look at not only the years, but in terms of the Olympic teams and the NBA Finals appearances. You know that that catches up to you. And having a rookie like Wiseman, which you can attract quality free agents. Plus, I mean, if you have a, I don't know this might be terrible to say, but maybe in the next five years, you might have a 60% Clay Thompson and a 60% Steph Curry, but a hundred percent James Wiseman along with some other free agents. You know, then you have a team there along with Draymond, right? And who knows if you can maybe trade them or whatever pieces you have. I, I think drafting him gives Warriors a lot of options in the future. So um, maybe I am overestimating the Warriors, but I think it, it, their future looks bright this season. It, it's one of those things where, I'm a Warriors fan. I'm not necessarily looking to see if they, if they make the playoffs. That's awesome. But to, to see progression on Wiseman's part is going to be the, the main future of this team because um, the, you know, seeing the, the Splash Brothers and Draymond, I think that era is, you know, coming to an end within the next five years. It's the way the NBA works in terms of trading players that are, you know, approaching the end of their primes. I mean, Tim Duncan's an exception. Dirk's an exception. But for the most part, players get traded in this league, so I, oh, yeah. I think having Wiseman there, um, he it was a it was a key pick, and I agree it was a massive mistake by the Timberwolves um, by ultimately passing on him. Um, yeah. Was there anything? Um, so you wanted to add another point. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, and and to
2: your point, you know, there's there's always talk of when you're on a roster with guys who have done it before, guys who have won a title. One sure. thing that motivates sure. these guys who are multiple time champions is getting that title for the next guy. So if, if Steph gets close to James Wiseman, Draymond, Clay, if, if these guys get close, then there's going to be that added incentive of, man, we got to win one for James. Um, you know, I, I think what we haven't touched on, uh, we, we talked about it a little bit last week, so I, w- I won't spend forever on this, but, the bigger issue right now is the return that they're getting from Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre. Yeah, I, don't, I, I think James Wiseman, um, you know, he's a legit pro, if, if nothing else. Uh, you know, again, much like I, I said about Anthony Edwards a minute ago, high floor on him. He, he's going to be a productive player, potentially an all-star. Um, the, the real issue is the cap money. I think they paid $80 million to bring Kelly Oubre Jr. in. Um, And then Andrew Wiggins is also on a very expensive contract. So to your point about trading players, um, you may have a tough decision to make in terms of what are you going to get back for these guys? Are you going to have to package some of your draft picks to get these contracts off the books if they don't find their rhythm this season and can't produce as they were intended to produce? Because these guys basically combined are supposed to be Clay Thompson. I mean, we, we know they're not going to be, as solid of three-point shooters as Klay Thompson, but fill in some of that production and a lot of that defensive effort as well. Um, the I, I think I saw a stat from uh, StatMuse on Twitter that you guys can follow. Shout out to them. They have a lot of great stuff. But I think they were saying Kelly Oubre's field goal percentage as of like two days ago was like 8.2% from three-point uh, range. Geez. Which, <laughs> I mean, when you talk about Steph having to carry a team, he, he's really, he's not the, he's great. No doubt. I, I'm not trying to slight Steph Curry in any way. Like you said, I would agree. He's, he's probably the greatest shooter we've ever seen in NBA history, but he's not built like a tank, like LeBron. He's not this makeup, like a, like a Giannis, like put the ball in my hand. I'm going to get to the rim that, that type of thing. He needs those players around him. He, he's a point guard. He he needs guys to feed the ball to He just, you can't, inbound to Steph Curry and then take a playoff and, and expect for things to get done. Um, so, you know, I think those guys just need to step up at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. I agree with you completely. And Andrew Wiggins is another guy. He's in that Ben Simmons camp of like, what do people see in this guy? <laughs> I mean, you know, we, him. And I think that's um, kind of, and I think we've actually seen it with somebody like Brandon Ingram, because remember when he was on the Lakers, like, when is Brandon Ingram? is going to be the future. And I think finally we're actually seeing that in New Orleans. But he's really the only guy that's actually somewhat lived up to the hype when he's on a different team. So maybe that's a sign. Maybe I should just look to Brandon Ingram in terms of seeing what Andrew Wiggins. But Andrew Wiggins has been – this is a different team too. And, he, you know, I think he's underperformed. So I just – I don't know. But I agree with you. It's an excellent point because – so far, those two signings seem to be ill-advised um, so far.
2: For sure.
0: um, was there anything else you wanted to, to comment on before we say goodbye this week?
2: Oh, Real quick, just to update sure. you guys, um, if you're looking at watching some main uh, headline games this week, Wednesday on ESPN, we've got the doubleheader with Boston against Miami. Uh, We also have the Clippers versus Golden State. That's Wednesday night. The Clippers Golden State matchup will repeat again on Friday um, on ESPN again. On Thursday on TNT, we have Philadelphia versus Brooklyn, which should be an interesting matchup, especially if Katie and Kyrie are playing that game. Uh, And then we also have two teams that really need a win in this game with Dallas against Denver as the late game on that Thursday night game. So, I think some pretty good games scheduled there in primetime. Interesting stuff to keep an eye on. You know, we will continue to kind of briefly update you guys on the trends with with how the games are going, how the standings are flipping. Really weren't any major power rankings shifts yet to this point. I think power rankings uh, go live tomorrow morning. So we'll we'll see the uh, week three changes. I I mean, of course, you'd imagine Denver is going to fall on that as we touched on earlier, but uh, lots of good stuff to look forward to potentially, you know, I I talked about the James Harden trade, maybe taking longer. Wouldn't shock me if by the time I'm talking to you again next week, Justin, if if James Harden does get traded somehow to a different team, I mean, I I think less likely, but with how crazy this whole situation is, you, you just never know. And, and everyone knows he is, he is on the table. Um, It's just going to be a matter of, right package coming along Houston's front desk and, uh, and them uh, signing that and agreeing to it. So um, yeah. Yeah, we'll see what happens. A lot of a lot of cool stuff
0: for sure. Um, we'll have to take a look at that and see. Um, we'll see if 2021 falls the suit of 2020 being an insane year, <laughs> if anything's is um, going to happen in terms of unpredictability. Um, I think that's going to wrap up our show, man. For our um, listeners and people watching on YouTube, um, send us some comments. Um, disagree with us, agree with us. We love to read it. Um, we're available at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram as well. Um, Check out our library of interviews. Uh, We have Zach um, Levitt. We have um, Kerry Champion, um, The Athletics' Richard Deitch, um, Ben Lyons, who hosted MTV's GM School. Uh, Plenty of interviews still that that still are fairly timely in terms of getting a preview of this NBA season that we're in. uh, From the Golden State Warriors, the the Chicago Bulls. new orleans pelicans i mean we have tons of teams that um the denver nuggets as well experts that they they cover these teams um pretty depthly on a daily basis so please go check that out in our archives um so check thanks for checking us out Um, for matt thomas i'm justin goodrum have a very good week and we will see you next time check you later
2: nice happy new year